This is Kelly Jones, and you have been listening to Spoiler Country. It's time to enter the spoilerverse via our secret portal at the exclusive Arctic Club in beautiful downtown Seattle with our hosts, John and Henrik and Jeff. Welcome to Spoiler Country. Hey, if you're listening to our show for the first time and you're on one of the social medias that we're on, like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, any of those kinds of things, you should always check us out on spoilerverse.com. But... If you want to keep up with our latest episodes, you should bring out your smartphone, get into your favorite podcaster, find Spoiler Country, and hit subscribe. Then you'll get all our new stuff. And if you want to reach out to us, you can do that in two ways. You can call us and leave us a voicemail at 707-656-2080. Again, 707-656-2080. Or you can shoot us an email at spoilercountry at gmail.com. the cult of the Spoilerverse, and welcome back to Spoiler Country. I'm Kenneth Cregan. That's Mr. Horsley. And today on the show, well, this is part one of the interview with the amazing, talented Kelly Jones, who, if you don't know, is probably, not probably, is the definitive Batman artist of the 90s. Agreed. He's, his work on Batman was was amazing. I got to say, man, you Legendary. put some stank on that intro today. Holy shit. Yeah, that no one's good. home. I can just go off. Yeah, yeah. I, I appreciate the level of effort you put into that today. I just want to tell you that. I appreciate you. Nice. <laughs> nice. I feel good. That makes me feel warm and fuzzy. Good, good, good. Yeah, Kelly Jones, man. He's the definitive. Like, you think of Batman in the 90s, and you, I mean, inevitably, you've, you've seen or loved his art. And, you know, he was on Sandman, and he's done... Oh my God! Well, so much cool stuff. The the, I think the not the epitome, but he's a Eisner Award winning on Dead Man, and Dude, his, his Dead, Dead Man so good. is so different than what anybody else thought of Dead Man to be or to do him like. And I think Kelly really nailed it. You know. Oh yeah, for sure. Well, for sure. Shoot, man. On, well, on the, on this first episode, as you said, this is a three parter. Yeah. This is our first time we've had an interview last for three hours. Thank you, Kenrick. And uh, not, not just me, okay? That's not my <laughs> fault that I'm talking to Kelly. And I was kind of nervous when I'm like looking over his catalog. I'm like, oh my God, this guy has done everything. He's a huge person in the industry, really. Yeah. And then him and I start talking and we just hit it off like we're best friends. Oh, dude, it's such a good. I, I, I edited this it one. It was ridiculous. so good. It's so we fun. talk on Facebook now. Like yeah. him and I go back and forth on Facebook where we've become legitimate friends. Yeah, it's cool. And this first one, you guys talk about, you guys talk about, you know, his Batman run, uh, his, his love of Marshall Rogers and his inspiration to become and start doing what he is doing. And it's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Oh, well, let's sit back and listen to Kelly in his own words. <laughs> guys thanks for coming back today on the show well he's a california boy grows grew up in citrus heights he's an eiser award winner he's he's probably drawn some of the best batman work you'll probably ever see and of course he's worked on sandman with the great neil gaiman as you just heard kelly jones thanks for so much for coming on it's my pleasure thank you guys so what have you been up to man how's how's life treating you to actually, you know, I know it's every for everyone it's really weird. I yeah. guess it is, but you know, for me it's kind of like, you know, other than you can only go to the grocery store, right? Right, <laughs> um, right. Uh, it's it's you know I've been pretty busy. I've had I had some tight deadlines anyway, so I wouldn't have got out much these uh, last few months anyway. So it's I think it's I think it's strange. It's strange in that everybody. I, I, you know, I just look out on my street and everybody's there all the time. It's kind of yeah. like, that's bizarre. Yeah. Um, they're not at work. Uh, they're in your front of your house. Yeah. They're they're, And I'm used to being the only one on the street, you know? Right. So that, that's kind of strange. And, uh, but other than that, you know, uh, and uh, it seems like it's kind of starting to get back a little to normal, whatever that is, whatever that was before. Right. Normal or not. It seems like it's starting to 
by its own inertia. So it's kind of weird because everything has seemed so out of control for a while, right? You know, and it just kind of does its own thing. It's a, it's a strange time. I, 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 I don't know how to, how to, you know, it's going to be one that I'll probably know what it's like a year from now. And then you'll go, oh, okay, now I can put it into words. Right. Because it, your first thing is to think uh, Walking Dead or something. You know, right. one of those weird some some end of the world thing but you know what's weird is is uh this girl goes hey you should read this book called oryx and crake and i was like oh, okay and she's mm-hmm. she's into weird horror movies and everything else and i was like yeah i'll check it out and i read it and it's about a guy that creates a drug that basically he, well he kills everybody in the world it, and yeah. leaves his friend that he kept giving the antidote to telling him it was for this other thing but it's really giving this this guy this antidote, and so he ends up being the only person left in the world. But his friend, but his friend was like a mad scientist that created these uh, subhumans that do things differently. That has you know, like their whole sexual awakening of giving birth and stuff is completely different than ours. It's all non-passion. Yeah. Everything is very more like a flower, right? Yeah, and. Literally a week or two weeks after I finished this book, the pandemic hits and everything shut yeah. down. I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> well, it's weird because, you know, I, I've always been a fan of like stuff like the Day of the Triffids and the Omega yeah, Man. Yeah, I love and that stuff. End of the world. So, and, and you always look at it as like, okay, from, from afar or anything, this, you know, you read The Stand or something. Yeah. But now that everyone's went through this, all those things have a different feel to it. Yeah, you, I think those they they uh, probably work better now because you can you can identify better with with the weird news reports. Yeah, you know the yeah. only thing on the news is that it's been strange the last. It's like only the last few days here you're getting different news stories. Well, how weird is it in October? The Navy yeah. releases the the tapes that show unidentified flying objects that were taken, and then three I months know. later we're on lockdown. <laughs> I know, and they start, and they slowly, and you know, I used to, I, I used to think I would like it if they would just say, yeah, 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 there it is. Yeah. But now I'm kind of agreeing with them. I don't like them to say, yeah, yeah, there they are. <laughs> Have you, you know, I was kind of liked them denying it, even though, and then that way you could say, oh, they know. Right. But when you see that they release this stuff and yeah. that the people involved in it are so credible and, and they they're legit, right? It's not your crazy evidence. cousin. So and you know somebody's sitting yep. in that thing. <laughs> you know, it isn't just a little yeah. something zipping around. There's somebody in it. Yeah, it's weird. It's super <laughs> it's weird. You know, Joe Rogan had on his podcast the pilot from the 2004 footage. Yeah. And he talked about the whole thing and then talking to the the, the pilots that did the, the Gimbley. I think they call it the Gimbley thing. Yeah. And he, yeah, it's super weird, man. That was well, like. Always, you know, I've always been interested in pilot reports more than anything else. Yep. And and pilot reports because one they're trained, they know what's going on, but they have so much to lose. So you figure if one says it, a hundred didn't. You know? Yeah. And yeah. So at this point you 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 figure that that's so that's so got into their soul. What is this? This can't be. It changes your paradigm. I mean, everyone who says they believe in it, yeah, I believe in it, or they don't believe in it. Yeah. But if you really did, like these guys, if you really saw something like that, do its basically flaunt how much more it can do than you. Yep. How much more advanced? That would be something you'd think about all the time. I think. Yeah, it's so it's super, the one that they shot in 2015 too, which is freaky. Yeah. Is the guy said, "Look out your like he says, look at your essay," which is uh, yeah. the guy explains it, but there's a pot of them. Like yeah. information, not just one that they're capturing on the infrared, but there's a whole other ones that they couldn't get to. Well, how many? I mean, you guys have to have this as just as I do. You have friends or family who say they've seen something. When I was a kid, and, we did see something. We yeah. didn't, but to me, it looked like more like we saw a very close meteor that was yeah. probably burning up in the atmosphere. That's how I took it. But I was like yeah. nine. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's how my dad explained it to me. But we yeah, definitely I, saw it, a, a it, giant it, flash I, in the sky. I, I, and you know, it isn't like I do comics, and that's why I think I, for me, it was on our street when I was growing up. My dad uh, did construction, and he had us, my brother and I, load up his stuff. He was talking to a friend of his on the street. It was early 
early evening, just sun going down, but it was very overcast. Yeah. Not raining, but very overcast. And this incredibly bright light just moves up from the south. And you're waiting. You know, when you see it, you don't say, oh, UFO. You just go bright light. You wait for the sound of the jet. You wait for the sound of the engines. And it just never did it. And it, and then it comes up almost to where we are and it stopped. And we, every, no one's saying anything. No one's saying, look, look at that. Everyone just stops on the, you know, that was out on the doing whatever goes straight up through the clouds like gone yeah and so and all i remember all i can remember is my father had served in the military and the guy he was talking to was an air force captain yeah and they both looked at it and everyone looked at uh, everyone's looking at each other because it never made a sound but it got really really bright and then goes straight up through the clouds no sound made like this little hole going through it that's nuts and it's nuts. And I was a kid. You know, I wasn't that old. And you, I can't remember too much of things going on then. That I can remember crystal clear. And no matter what, if it never happened again, if it was the only one that ever did, that's still the weirdest thing. You know, that's yeah. just this weird thing. Yeah. And now you kind of had confirmation that it could be well, exactly I had to, what you, you think know, it is. Well, my father was, was, had to do – they had to be able to identify things because yeah. he was in the Navy. And the guy was the other the friend on the street was a captain in the Air Force training people to fly Delta Wing fighters then. So they knew they both said they had no idea what that was and had never seen anything like that. So crazy. It's so crazy. And at that point, your whole world changes, right? It's less like, wow, okay, that Yeah. Hundred percent. I don't care what they I do not care what science says. Something that is not from here. Well, I always believed and I will always believe, even if we never see it like in our faces, you know. Even though I think that stuff that came out in October is pretty much pretty clear that there's something yeah, more that's here. Yeah, that's pretty slam dunk. Yeah, but I always believe that there's other other beings from other places, maybe not necessarily coming here, but definitely in the expansion of the universe. We can't be the only only Look, beings out there. That's absolutely, ridiculous. Absolutely, and before you know. It is true. Extraordinary, extraordinary claims need extraordinary proof. That was yep. pretty extraordinary proof. Yeah. What'd you have, Jeff? That, well, I mean, you're, you're well, being tracked by a couple... ship planes, your multiple radar hits, visual confirmation, camera confirmation. I mean, it's everything you asked for. Yep. Jeff? Well, I was gonna say, I think it was a few months earlier from the videos they published for the Pentagon. There actually was a news article in a couple of well-known websites and uh, magazines that there was evidence of – they found evidence that there was a patent that someone has on a vehicle, some sort of shift vehicle that can move like that through water and, and air in all directions at once. So I, I, was, I remember having a conversation with my father about going – so the question is, did the patent come before evidence of the UFOs or did the UFO come and now we have this um, patent for a uh, spacecraft apparently that can do the same damn thing? Well, if they do, they're missing out on making a fortune right now, huh? Right, because that would change I mean, travel well, I mean, instantly. It, it would have to be they would have to be like a James Bond villain, right? You know, it's like we have this straight <laughs> thing. Yeah. And, it's Bill Gates uh, all along. Well, apparently, it was, yeah, I think. Well, uh, apparently, it's it's the military. The military owned right. that. Um, it's connected to that patent. Apparently, that's why it wouldn't have normally be it, money wouldn't be wish, made on it. It would be a government product. They wish they wish they had that, <laughs> right? They they wish no one no no way it, it, who, whatever you saw in that nobody nobody will be able to do that for five hundred years. It's crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. No, no exhaust, no heat. You're moving at will. Well, the guy that was right on on Joe Rogan, mile, you're going five thousand miles an hour. You can go from sixty feet to thirty five thousand feet in one sweep of a radar. Yeah, that's nuts. That's nuts. Yeah. Well, the guy on Joe Rogan's podcast, I can't remember his name, and it I, kind of drives me nuts. But he's a, you know, he was a commander in the Air Force, a pilot. But he talked about that when they, when they think about how they watch how it moves and seeing it live, they felt like it was more a, a manipulation of gravity, you know, because air, well, water, nothing seemed to bother it. It just did what it wanted. No, no. And if you are able to get here from somewhere else. Yeah. You're going to have that. Okay. That that technology to get you from wherever to here, what they what we saw was child's play from that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, to be able to do that, 
to be able to go i it look it's hard to wrap your our heads around just the distance you know from here to pluto or something right. you know just in in terms of just the solar system just how big the solar system is yeah. it's, i can't get my head around that nope and and so to say from another star which i think look i'm not judging it by what we do or our knowledge of physics it's somebody you know give somebody else 100,000 years who knows who knows what they can do yeah i think that's that folding of space and time that albert einstein talked about yeah well, look it could and it could be something even more exotic than that yeah you know it could be something that that doesn't take what we think it would take isn't what you'd need to do that we think you need to do yeah and there's all the old examples but that's all this beside the point the fact of the matter is we all saw what these things did it's incredible and you and and you you have too many people who've seen these things before yeah who are very who are extremely credible have nothing to gain it's genuinely bizarre and it is what it is i mean and i think it affects people beyond just how bizarre they are how it affects people personally i mean i remember not maybe 15 20 years ago an aunt of mine was at christmas and for this wasn't even the subject something else was being spoken about and somebody had said about had mentioned and there's maybe 25 30 people at this christmas dinner yeah and and someone just brought up stuff that you're embarrassed by or stuff you don't talk about or stuff blah 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 and i have this very elderly aunt who just says well i saw flying saucer once and she'd never said this. Her husband's sitting there and looks at her. And she says, I was in a bus in 1947 coming down the foothills towards Sacramento. And it was the middle of the day. And we're all in a bus coming down from the hills. And this thing just came over the trees. Big silver disc, just like they say. Just came over, kind of floated, went down the canyon, and off it went. Didn't. Not high speed, just sort of went its way. But it was big, solid thing. Yeah. Nobody on the bus said anything. She, that's what, and that was her thing. Wasn't I saw the UFO? It's that we saw this and nobody said anything, and she didn't say anything until at this dinner. And so I just said, "So you never told anyone?" She goes, "It just didn't come up." Right. And you think, okay, there's that's a weird thing now. I mean, I would. I, I she, she had to feel like she would be teased, or someone would say, "Oh, they'll probably think I'm lying." You know what I mean? Yeah, or something. But she didn't see. I mean, she just said it like, "Yeah." And, and the strange thing is, nobody said anything. Yeah. And I always went, "No." The strange thing was, you saw something. <laughs> and then the rest is the rest. You know. This is weird. Um, D- does having conversation like this get your creative juices going? Um. Actually. It, it's one of those things where probably what it does is to creative people, which I think is virtually everybody. I do I think too. That's just in, I think that's in everybody's DNA is yep. to be creative. You've got to find the medium that your creation is in. Or whatever it is. I yep. mean, it, but, it, but I think people who do it, who, who go maybe to the step I do or something, it affects every part of your life, though. It doesn't mean you draw everything and you're, you know, right. you just, if you build a wall, you build it like, you think, well, how would I make it more than just functional but interesting? You know right. what I mean? It's like, <laughs> you know, it's it's. They called it not romantic, like, you know, towards you 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 romantic towards a girl or something. Right. But romantic in how you see the world. Right. You know, it, you see things romantically, and I think that's that's when you talk about stories like this, people who see the world in that way, it 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 makes that speculation you're you're not instantly frozen by the science of something right you start thinking about somebody sitting in it the wonderment of it all yeah what what are they thinking what why are why what would i say to them what would they say to me yeah yeah do i taste good i don't know (laughs) do i taste good i don't know (laughs) so kelly i understand that you are a lover of horror movies from way way back and your parents had a very funny rule yes that rule being you could watch anything you wanted absolutely at any time you want if you want to stay up late you just got to be do whatever you got to do then but 
if you wake them up with a nightmare, if you do, if you do the screaming and the crying and the I can't sleep, you never get to see it again. That's it. You're <laughs> no done. more horror movies. No more horror films. No more any of that stuff. So, what movies just scared you? Where you almost went and told your parents, "I can't do this." Oh, there. Okay. Well, you go back to there's certain ones that just nailed me. Yeah. And and they would be and, and sometimes you wouldn't think they would and now you wouldn't. But when I was a kid, they ran War of the World. Yeah. And it's probably the sound editor who got me because it was so loud of a movie. Right. And and there's an end of the world for you, right? Yeah, so and that one just I I thought they were coming. You know, I thought they were coming. There was another one I remember. And it's funny when you go back on some of these, they, when you're young, they're terrifying. And then as you get older, they're okay. Yeah. There was another one called uh, Navy versus the Night Monsters. Oh, I haven't seen that one. Okay. And and they're on this little island and it's near, I don't know where the hell it is. I just remember this guy comes, you hear this guy saying, yeah, I'll go take care of it. And he goes off into the forest and you hear this blood curdling screams and he comes back. And his arm's missing. And he just falls down, and there's just, just this bloody stump. Yeah. And I don't even remember the rest of the movie. I just remember that. That was unbelievably uh, just, I couldn't oh, believe it. God. And, of course, Creature of the Black Lagoon, I couldn't go swimming anymore. <sighs> we, used to, we used to go to the lake. I think and Josh I never thought me. twice about it. Uh, after that, I knew he lived in that lake. <laughs> you know what's funny you is... You not convince me otherwise. But those things would wake me up. I had so. a very similar childhood. My my parents wouldn't let me watch uh, anything rated R, right? Yeah. And there, my my mother is super religious, like yeah. strict religious too, right? And but we for nineteen, I'm forty five, so I'm yeah. five years old in nineteen seventy nine, six years old in nineteen eighty. I have an older brother who is five, uh, five years older than me, and we had Showtime and we had cable. But back yeah. then, they had a PG key. We had a little box. There's a yep. literal key. Do you, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I remember because when you first got cable, you could you could hit a switch. Yes. Yep. yep. Yeah. So my parents would put that key on my dad's, and my brother went up. 11 o'clock at night, they went to bed. They were asleep, and, he, and they always slept with their door open. But the TV was downstairs. So he yeah. goes upstairs, grabs the, you know, sneaks the key, goes back downstairs, and they had, in one night... They had Salem's Lot. This is all on Showtime. They had Salem's Lot. Yeah. They had, and it was the uh, the cut version of the miniseries. So it was just yeah. two hours long. So they had that. They had The Hand with Michael Caine. And, yeah, The Hand. Yeah, 1930s Frankenstein. Was it 1930 when Frankenstein came yeah. out? Yep. So we start with Salem's Lot. We watch that, and that scared the crap out. It's the scene with the kid in the hospital bed and yes, his friend. And he scratches on the window. Oh my god, that scared the crap out of me. And my brother's like, yeah. I, "I'm putting my covers over my eyes," and he's going, "It's safe to watch." And I turn it down, and it's that scene and the scene yeah. where I think is it Vincent Price that gets pushed up against the wall of horns. No, that was James Mason. James, yeah, that scene. So when they showed that, I was like, oh, I, and when I think back about it now, it's kind of gruesome that 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 was on TV, like. Look, I uh, it was a huge hit too, right? I, I yeah, it, I I once said to my parents after seeing Frankenstein as a little kid. Yeah, I said, "Well, the sun's too bright in my bedroom because it would face west," and so I I like thumbtacked one of my blankets up over the window because I was convinced he was going to look in my window. <laughs> I did that convinced, with uh, Dracula. But I couldn't tell him. I couldn't tell him at seven years old. Yeah. Because that, that would then that would be I would give You're something away. I couldn't say that it's what it was. Yeah, but I do remember also, you know, my dad loved this stuff. My dad loved Outer Limits and Night Gallery and monster movies. We used to go to the drive-ins and see all these things. Monster movies are the best. And so we would go, and and you know, my mom couldn't care less about it. Yeah. So. But that was, I think, mostly that rule came from if your mother gets upset, it's going to be me who gets into because I have kids and now I get what my dad went through. Yeah. Because yeah, I, I, I used to do things to my kids that for fun. Right. <laughs> you know, that right. probably wouldn't be smart now. <laughs> uh, Were you doing Krampus I, on December 5th? <laughs> well, they would, always, they would always get up and wander around and they're little kids, right? They'd want a cookie or something. Right. 
And my wife would say, well, you know, she'd talk to them. Well, I remember being talked to, and I'd wait till their mouth shut, and then I'd wait till their door shut, and then I'd go get a cookie. Right. So I had this one of those great Don Post Frankenstein masks, and I had this uh, cape from a Halloween. I kept it from a Halloween party from a million years earlier, a Dracula cape. <laughs> and I just stood at the end of the hall. I didn't do anything. The lights were out. I just stood. I didn't say anything. I waited, and I knew they would go down and get a cookie. And I just waited. I just stood there. And they opened the door, and they don't really notice me. And then they notice me. <laughs> they don't do anything. And all I do is I don't say anything. I do anything. I just walk really fast towards them. Oh, God. <laughs> they fly into their room, slam the doors. Uh, I, don't say anything. I don't say anything. And then I go, and I take that stuff <laughs> off, and I go, and then I, you can, I, I make it to where they can hear me. I said, hey, I think there's something in the hall. <laughs> oh, that is evil. That is now evilly they genius. About, they talk about it now. But, you know, thankfully, they, they talk about it well and not to a counselor or a therapist. But <laughs> to me, that was funny. You right. Know? That was fun to do. And But my father, he didn't do those kind of things. But my father was a big lover of Halloween. Yeah. And a big lover of those kind of movies. And that's awesome. He was the one who would help us tweak the fireworks to where they went from safe to not sane. Right. So he never really grew up that way. And and that's probably why I associate these things with a lot of a lot of fun. Yeah. You know? I it goes it. from really scary to really fun. I love because it. Because he would I remember him getting up once to tell us to turn that damn T V down, right? Because it's I don't know, twelve o'clock at night. Yeah. And my brother and I were watching TV, and he came in, and and, and I just said, but them is on. <laughs> That's goes, a great movie. Them. And he goes, all right. And he goes in, and he pops popcorn. He had to work in the morning. He yeah. pops popcorn, and we're watching them until 2 in the morning. Oh, that's a great dad. That's a great you know? dad. Yeah, so he, he dug it. You know, he dug the, the right stuff. Yeah, I love um, that you have this very amazing relationship with your that you had with your parents, but also with your brother who drove you around to find all these comic books. Yes, he did. And fantastic yes, did. four number 84. What does yes. that mean to you? Uh, he came home with it from school and I'd never seen comics. I knew like I watched cartoons and stuff, you know, yeah. I love, I, I was already ready for it because I love Johnny quest and I love those kind of cartoons, the star Trek animated series, those kind of things. Yeah. I think they did Planet of the Apes like that. They so did. I was into that kind of story. And he was in, I want to say, seventh grade, eighth grade, something like that. And at the end of the year, at the end of the school year, he was just given a stack of – I guess the teacher used them like when you got your work done, read a comic book or something. Yeah. He came home with them. They just cleaned out his – and he came home with them and he just put them on, the, on a table and it was like crack. You know, go up to it and I go, what is this? Yeah. And there was like Marvel's greatest comics and a Ugh. few others. But I rem the first one was Will Man Survive with the Inhumans? And uh, and Maximus was smashing a table and all the Fantastic Four were little on it. I understood everything. Yeah. I read that thing. I still have that issue. I still have those books. I, I literally, Kelly, I literally got chills because your experience and how you got introduced in comics is a parallel to how I got into comics with my brother who introduced yeah. me to X-Men and Spider-Man and Batman back in like 1981, 1980. And yes, and it's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing because it's electric. Yeah, and, it was. It was totally electric. It wasn't, it wasn't too much after that. My mom and dad had a friend who had a cabin in North Lake Tahoe, and there was no cable, no nothing. I mean, you got one right. radio station and one television station. If you're lucky. And it was, <laughs> it was snowing like crazy or whatever. Anyway, he got the use of it, and he wanted to maybe entice my mom to maybe do a, a cabin themselves, right? So rather than, say, just do it, he wanted to take her, have a good, fun time, and then she would be more amenable to going in and make building a cabin or something. And when we were there... There was this big chest, and the guy who who owned the place had told my dad, tell your son – he didn't know I liked him at all. Tell your son if he wants any of those old comic books, he can take them because they're going to rot my kid's brain. 
And he didn't want, you know, he had the prejudices of comics. So my dad, who didn't mind comic books at all, and I never really got them. I had this handful from my brother. Never entered my mind to go buy them, though. Okay, you know, go to a yeah seven. I it just didn't. I they were that was it. And right. uh, and in there, they they had only just been. They could not have been out that long. Were all the all the Marvel stuff, all this DC stuff. It was great. I'm reading the Avengers. I'm reading Fantastic Four, Spider Man, Superman, all this stuff. And at the end of it was Swamp Thing number two and Monster Frankenstein five. Wow. So there's rights and fluke. I hated those books. I yeah. hated them when I read them. I hated them. I hated them. I hated them. Scared you too much? And I love I love scary stuff, but I didn't think in comics. You know, I, when you're a kid, they're superheroes and yeah. blah, blah, blah. And it bothered me. And so I read them. And, and I think rights and unmen scarred me. I remember this head with so my good. hand as a body. Yeah. Right. Scarred so me. And I would oh. stare at that drawing and it really scarred me. So I put them in. I put them down. I, you know, I read all the other books first. I read those last. But about two hours later, it just stayed with me. I had to look at it again. It's yeah. like I had to see this again. I had to look at Medusa again. <laughs> and I read it again. And I was and, and it's like, I don't know it, it that alchemy worked. And I loved it. Yeah. It, I loved it, and and it's the first time, and I got a chance to tell Len Wein this and Bernie. It was the first time I ever went to go look at the credits page. Yeah, and see who did this, and the names were wonderful: Wein and Wrights, and that sounds like guys who would make scary shit. Right, right. Know? Bernie Wrights and Wrights's and style was so weird, and so was Plug. Yeah, Plug's had a big spider that would suck the brains out, and Frankenstein had to fight this spider. It was great. But at the time I read it, I, oh, my God, you know, nightmare fuel. <laughs> and then I had told, I had said to, I told that story to both those guys. And I said, you know, I went from hating you and in two hours I, you know, was loved you. Yeah. And, and they both loved, in fact, Len Wein used to make me tell that story to him all the time. Oh, that's awesome. No, tell me that again. Tell me that again. Because he loved the fact that it would. You know, I was the exact age at the time that he was aiming it at, <clears throat> and it, that's what every writer or artist would want to hear. They hate you, and then they love you. Right. That you that it was so out of the out of the mainstream, out of the whatever. But it stayed with me longer than the stuff that was in the mainstream, even though I loved it. Right. Um, I can still go back and read it and and get swept away. So that's that was absolute magic and it's a perfect you know there's a blizzard outside the there's, whole backdrop is set up for this yeah it's yeah. perfect there's a blizzard there's no tv or radio really to speak of there's nothing really there's just a big fire and i just sat and read comics there <laughs> That's awesome. and my dad my dad liked that so much that i was quiet through that that every time we'd come into town we'd just go to the 7-eleven and whether i was there or not i could be unloading the car whatever he'd go into town and he'd just get one of everything and so he'd get me one of whatever they had, and that's where I got into Wayne Howard's Midnight Tales. Nice, uh, that Charlton book. Yeah, man, I I love that. Still, one of my all time favorite books is Wayne Howard's Midnight Tales. Nice, Arachne. I loved uh, that. I loved that book. Whoa. And so yeah, I mean, he came. I remember him coming home with Barry Windsor Smith's. Conan Treasury with red oh. nails in it. This big book. I'd never seen anything like that. Yeah. I, I just God Barry Windsor Smith. His Conan yeah. stuff is so flipping good. It's ridiculous. Still the, be still, still the best Conan ever. Uh, right. It's yep. it's like you look at some of that work and you're like, it's not even fair that you're that good. No, no. <laughs> and, and it's one of those things where I always kind of identified with him in one way, in that he knew who he was, but he wasn't really allowed to be who he was. Yeah. Right. So he goes away for a year and then just does what he wants to do the way he always saw it, inking himself, the way, not trying to be Jack Kirby or anything. Right. Uh, Being uh, the best Barry Windsor Smith he could be. Yeah, just going to be who he wanted to be, and you take your chances with it. And and that kind of happened to me on Dead Man. I, I you know, had a pretty good career going. I, I, Marvel had me under contract. I was making a living. The whole, everything that you want to do. Yeah. And it was completely unfulfilling. Right. You know, thoroughly, completely unfulfilling. I was I was transitioning myself out of comics because I just wasn't enjoying myself. Wow. And at that point, you really that's that's the place you have to be to make that transition. Yeah. 
when I got Dead Man, it was like they saw they saw how I drew, and and in Action Comics Weekly they saw how I drew, and when they gave me the prestige books, uh, you know, I made the one request I made, which was basically a demand because I had nothing to lose, was I wanted to ink it and control the art. And at that point, they, you know, they said, yeah, sure, fine. But Marvel wouldn't, you know, Marvel was not so inclined to let me ink myself. So that that was a big, uh, that was a big deal to me. Yeah. When, when and DC I figured said, sure. If Dead, Man, if Dead Man failed or if they fired me over Dead Man or Dead Man didn't sell a book, I could always say, but this is what I look like. Yeah. This is what I wanted to be. This is me. Yeah. This is what I, and, but, but, man, you knocked it out of the park. And really... In my mind, is the definitive work for for Dead Man, especially on his look. I mean, you changed everything about it before. He just looked like a dude with white fa- white paint well, on his look, face. Well, look, there's there's a there's a very difficult thing when you handle certain characters. Yeah, um, and that was one of them. Was was that it was really deep in the shadows of the tremendously good Neil Adams versions, right? And so everyone measured you by that. And even when I did Batman, it was the same thing. Which isn't you know, really fair, always, right? In the back of their mind, they always think, well, okay, there's Neil, and then there's this, that, or the other thing, you know. Right. But it's, it's Neil. Right. And so I always said, well, first, you know, you, I, I know I can't compete with that, so you have to come up with something else. And what, what's amazing about art is it's, it's – sadly, it isn't about techniques, technical skill, I should say – where you get credit for it, whereas you would maybe if you did computers or you're a doctor or somewhere. Right. Yeah, that need to know your technical. In art, it's the idea. And if you can get the idea, you're forgiven the fact that you can't draw like Neil Adams. Right. It's the emotion and, that you can convey. Yeah. And and art is created with emotion, right? Yeah. And it's received with emotion. Right. It's not – there's no – there's nowhere you can go to learn this to where whatever learning you have will be accepted by an editor or a reading public or anybody. It's just, do you come in there and can, does that, like for me, editors would see it and it would, they would be struck by it. And it wasn't because I was a brilliant draftsman. It would be, wow, that, that really, I mean, I remember doing a fill-in cover for Archie Goodwin on Batman. The first thing I ever did was, uh, I think Batman, uh, Detective Six Fifty One or something—a cover. Yeah, and it was an inventory cover. And and Archie Goodwin had <laughs> seen me do Dead Man, and he had called me up, and I'd never spoken with him before. So, and he said, "Hey, I'm wondering if you would want to do just you know, uh, I want to see how you do. I'll pay you. Do me a inventory. We may or we may not use it, but I want to see what you do if you did Batman. Just anything you want to do with Batman." So, I did this one cover. And he really, really liked it. And I look at it now and I go, God, it's, it's kind of clunky here and it's kind of clunky there. And, you know, but when he described it, he said, boy, I haven't seen anything like this. Before. I don't know. That looks pretty badass, Kelly. <laughs> well, you know, it, it, it was one of those things where you just and he asked me, where did that come from? Where did this come from? And I told him, I said, well, I don't know how to, you know, I don't go into it thinking if I were this hero, what would I do or blah, blah, blah. I go, I think of it like, well, if he was after me, <laughs> you know, right. how would I react? Right. What, 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 that, especially with Batman. And he liked that answer. I said, I don't know how to be a hero. I'm, I'm not that, but I do know what would scare me. And so I said, I don't really think of him as his musculature or this big physical presence i see the shape in the dark and i see the shape staring at me right and all it says all it it doesn't give big long speeches it just says stop it and you know okay now in gotham the crazy people keep doing it that's why they're crazy but the regular people in fact i did it i did it i got to use these ideas they were ideas i always wanted to do when i was doing it with doug and there's just never a place to stick them in so all the years later when I did Kings of Fear a year or two ago, I said, I want to put in these things. And one of them was that, what I just said there. And the other was that, like, the bat signal is not a call to him to come and do something. 
which it is, but the regular people, us, we wouldn't know that, right? We don't know that. It's a warning that he's loose. And Batman is the worst of the <laughs> I love that. whatever these you know, he's the worst because they have to do a warning. They don't do it for the Joker, they don't do it for the Riddler, or Clayface, any of the others. They do it for him though. And he's the worst and the best because he's never in Arkham Asylum. All the others are in Arkham Asylum. He never gets caught. And when you see him fighting those guys, if you happen to see him fighting those guys, it's over turf. Yeah. It's not It's not like he's saving anyone. It's not like he's doing anything good. Because if people thought he was a hero, they're not going to be afraid of him. Right. They, yeah. don't know, they don't know what his motivation is. They don't know who he is. They don't know what he is. They just know this he, that he's terrifying. So I was able – they they liked that and they let me put it in there and that struck a chord i've been very pleased that kings of fear did as well as it did and that they keep reprinting it and, and whatnot it's good stuff um when did yeah, you it was but it was those weird ideas you know yeah well when did you really start doing the 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 oversized ears because i gotta tell you that's my favorite feature that you do is the ba- uh, is on the cow and you've I, probably heard that a million times but no I, look i i always i always thought of it not I don't get too deep in the weeds on it. I just thought again, if this guy was coming down an alley at me or swooping down or just in my study and he doesn't come out in the bright light and say hi I'm you know or hey I'm Batman stop it. He just is there. Right. And I thought that his silhouette his his that's what you would really you don't you're not going to focus on this guy. You're going to run from him or you're going to get the crap kicked out of you. But he's this shape, and you don't forget it, and it's right. demonic. And, right. and anything that makes him more like another hero, I didn't like, because I thought he works on the psychology right. of that. That that's that's his thing, and I thought he holds himself that way. I never saw him as a crazy guy. I never saw him as that. I saw him as dedicated to what he does, like a brain surgeon. I'm gonna cure that tumor. Right. You know, yeah. I'm that way. But he also yeah. knew that intimidation. 99% of his work has stopped with regular people over that. That that's my that was a thing that I wanted to. I remember all these little things I kept and kept and kept. I put in Kings of Fear because you never know if you'll ever do a Batman again. So I right. said I wanted it to be where there's a gal at the end who who because you have all these stories where they say why do you do it? Why do I do it? Why do I do it? Well, the reason he does it because you know Joker always gets out and. Penguin always gets out. The reason he does it is it changes people's lives, regular people. And there was this girl in it, and she says, my boyfriend ran with a bad crowd. And one night, he, you came into his life, and he could not, you told him, you told him, stop it, and turn yourself in. And he went and did it. And though he still has nightmares, he changed his life. And... He now has a makes a living, and he got married, and he has a little girl, and da 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 da, and it was due to that. And he and Batman apologized. I'm sorry about the dreams. She goes, "Don't at all apologize for yeah, the dreams." That's awesome. So that was yeah. a little thing. I, in fact, that was a story I always wanted to call two uh, percent because <laughs> it was to explain why Gordon would break our Fourth Amendment, and he's the best guy in Gotham. Yet here he is working with a vigilante. Breaking all the rules, putting people in jail. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. what would he? Do? And and he would have like you know like when for the IRS you have the books they show, and then you have the secret books. Well, his secret books were the real arrest reports, the real stuff, and that the recidivism rate when Gotham would arrest you would be like eighty eight percent would go back and do it again. Right. But with Batman, it was only two percent. The, yeah, the bosses. <laughs> yeah, it was those dudes. Yeah, everyone else said never again. So because I, they were more frightened of him than they were of working for the Joker. Or the, yeah, that makes Pantan sense. Or whoever. So Jeff has a has a question or a comment. Well, okay. it was actually a comment. I, I was thinking um, about the Batman that you drew, and obviously we're talking about as uh, Ken Ray brought up like the long years, everything else. I always kind of viewed it as sort of like the perception of him, like you're seeing how people perceived him or then you're seeing how he actually is. Cause he kind of looks like a nightmare or it looks like that, like the dark aspect of how we would imagine Batman would be when we first see him kind of thing. Exactly. No, exactly. That's exactly it. I, I can't add anything to it. That's exactly what it was. I, I know that it would scare me something like that. 
I'm taking out the trash. I'm a bad guy, but I'm taking out the trash. And I go out there and there he is, <laughs> you know, oh, oh shit. <laughs> and, and that would, I wouldn't, I wouldn't focus on all the details and the bits and the pieces. And I know people, I, I know they do that now. I, I've just never been into all the armor and the bits and the pieces. I've always thought it's the cape and the cowl and the rest of it. I like the gadgets. I like that he can pull something out of his, you know, yeah. I remember one writer says, and he catches man bat and I don't know how, and he just wrote, I don't know how he does. It. He just catches bat mount. And, and it let me <laughs> make a little in his utility belt, a man bat catcher, right? That's fine. That it's only for man bat, <laughs> you know, and he throws this thing, yeah. it spreads out a big net, it grabs him. And it, you know, does a little parachute and he drops him down because he's figuring he's flying when he's doing it and you don't want to kill him. So yeah. it did all these things. And I dig that. I dig those things because every once in a while you want to remind everyone. And, of course, he can do this, too. Like, if all else fails, he's got that utility belt. Now, when you were making the Asbad costume, where were you one of the, I'm assuming you were one of the designers of um, the appearance. You, you drew the first covers for him. Like, what do you right. think to yourself? I can I have to step it up with Batman because you made Batman, you know, a very scary Batman. Now you got to step it up even more with Azrael Batman. Well, a lot of that, I think part of it was I was looking at Joe Quesada had come up with some designs and there's a few other people and they said, uh, we know that you're not really going to follow. That. <laughs> you know, we know that. <laughs> so just kind of do something that, you know, blah, blah, blah. And and at that point, yeah, you just sort of go into it and. I knew one thing I would do is I would still retain the cape as being weird, you know? Yeah. And that would be kind of, you know, cool to have this, this ultra modern thing. And then, then something that, that was very old school connected to it. I, I still haven't really seen that done. Usually if something's modern, it's uber modern, right? And they yeah. don't add something kind of old with it, something traditional with it. So I did that and that worked out really well really well i you know when i did it it was always kind of difficult for me because i'm such a traditionalist with batman and i'm so into how i do him the way i do because it it dictates story to me it dictates how i tell a story and i think batman is so utterly unique that he doesn't need anything more i know you know that's probably makes me in the small and in the minority on that i just think he works so much better as this mysterious character. I don't want to know his personal life too much. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting. It's okay. It's okay as a subplot, but the main thing still is him in the, in doing his business. Right. Him in the night. Yeah. yeah. Really? No. I, I, no, I where did the leg fins? Oh, so where, where did the leg fins come? Uh, where did that come from? What did what come from? The as uh, Azrael on the legs, he had those kind of like fins coming out from the from the legs uh, on Asbat. I think, I think that was something they had asked for. They said they wanted some kind of symmetry to it, and and so at that point, they didn't say put that stuff there. But I just started going, okay, well, I'll just I'll I'll make things. I'll take certain elements that were like on his arms, and I'll put them on his legs as well. You know, just anything to make it different. Anything to kind of make it, you know, and, and again, they used to get frustrated with me because whereas I would show them a lot of times I'd put the cape all over him, you know, and they wanted to show off the armor and stuff. So that, that was <laughs> it was always kind of funny, you know, that I would do that. Yeah. But to me, it, it, it was working visually and it was getting a great reaction. So at that point, I go, well, let's not screw it up. I mean, everybody else is doing this. Let's <laughs> just keep doing this. You know, if everyone else is doing whatever they're doing, that's fine. But if we can do our own thing, we're the only place they can get it. This this is working. I, I love the cover to Detective Comics 667 so much. I so want that on my wall. It's, it's such a beautiful <laughs> done cover. I love the Azrael bad uh, costume. I know some people may not, but I'm I, I absolutely adored. I thought it was the, one of the best looks of Batman because it was absolutely terrifying. It, looked, it literally took him looked like a Dark Knight, you know, with the armor yes. and everything attached to it. Well, that's. That's exactly it, and I would think of it that way because I would take that and say, "Well, here he is dressed in armor, right? Here, here he is dressed that way." Um, and if we're going to do it, I wanted it to be as far afield from just the 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 what he was wearing before. And I never got, you know, they would always say, "Well, he wore, what?" I never asked the questions of what he wore. I just knew. To me, it was like, "How did the colors color it?" That's all I cared about, and and go from there. But when it got to this, I thought, "Well." Then I wanted, I thought of him like if he was some crusader or something, you know? Yeah. 
and not the caped crusader, but you know, the real kind that puts on armor and, you know, that, that, that kind of vengeance guy, that, that guy who is a reckoning. So, and since, you know, Asbats was the way they were writing was saying, okay, if you really had a guy doing what you, these kind of awful things, you wouldn't want that. You want, you want your more ethical, moral Batman. So you could go a little further with it, you know? You want the ambiguity? Yeah. Well, I'm big on ambiguity. Yeah, yeah. Hey, what the, <clears throat> what does Marshall Rogers mean to your career? Well, Marshall, when I was... They had just started doing comic book stores, uh, in my area at least. And yeah. I remember going there, and I wasn't buying... I was buying Marvel and old old horror comics and stuff like that. If I bought new stuff, it would be like Micronauts and the X-Men and Avengers, stuff like that. I wasn't really buying DC. And a friend of mine said, you've got to read this. This is really good. And it was the first of those. And I didn't, and I don't want to, I'm not into Batman. And I would buy, you know, because I would buy one or here or there. I'd get the, you know, Neil Adams this or that. But when... The second one of those detectives come out. He says, no, you have to now. I'm going to sit here and you're going to read these. And I read those two issues and knocked me out. I mean, I was instantly a fan of this. And certainly Englehart's story was wonderful. But it was it was Rogers who had such a different style. Yeah. And it was so cinematic. It was it was like a movie, but better. And Marshall knew where and when to highlight a panel. He knew how to get you to that panel. He knew how to focus your eye. Now, I didn't know any of that. I just knew I was doing it. Right. And when, anyway, I got to be a tremendously big fan of his. I loved his Mr. Miracles like crazy. I think that's <laughs> my favorite, my favorite full page spread of all time is in Mr. Miracle where it's a close-up of Dark Side. Oh, that's cool. And, yeah, and all he all it says is, well, you know, you have Mister Miracle going all through Apocalypse to go and try to kill Dark Side, and Dark Side's waiting for him. It's not like he could, you know, Dark Side knew he was doing it. That right. was great. But it, all it says is, "Welcome, my son." Man, knock me out when I first saw it. So I became a massive Marshall Rogers fan. <laughs> I love and it. and so a friend of mine, the friend of mine who introduced me to it said, let's go down, he's going to be, because he worked at the comic book store, he says, let's go down, he's going to be in San Francisco, and let's go meet him, and we go. And I I was drawing, but I didn't bring any art. I was just going, he was there, Stranka was there, Kirby was there, it was, that was a big deal. And uh, so we go up to see him, and man, I was so glad, I was telling my friend, I'm so glad I didn't bring anything, because he's just eviscerating people, not being mean, he's just basically telling them as it is, this, this, these were not good pages or good examples of of comic art and he was letting them know and he was letting them know what they had to do is basically start over you know but he was he would it's good tell them yeah that's yeah, good though. a lot of people good. don't it, do that they just they tell you no, what you think you want to hear you, you they don't want to hear it and if you don't want to hear it you're never going to make it yeah so so anyway i was saying to my friend i am so glad well my friend had brought some of my art and how i didn't know was he would buy original art and he would buy portfolio stuff so he had kind of a case for it so he had taken some of my art and stuck it in there because he liked what I was doing. And he knew I wasn't really – I wasn't drawing comics really. I was just drawing monsters and weird stuff and, and things like that. And he took it and he sh- and he says, hey, uh, Mr. Rogers, this is my friend, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, what is he doing? I'm right here. And, and then he pulls out this art. He says, can you, can you just – if you have a chance, can you – just tell us what you think. I got to ask, did your Adam's apple just drop into your stomach or what? I wanted to kill my friend. <laughs> you know, I'm not pursuing. I mean, if I was, whatever little gestish, gestation was happening in that, maybe I want to do this. I just saw what he did to these other people. And he wasn't mean. It was worse. If someone's mean, you can go, ah, I can blow it off. He wasn't mean. Yeah, he's he being crazy. honest, which scared you. Yeah, honest is worse than mean. Yeah. So, um, especially with something you don't want to hear. <laughs> no, he looks at it and he doesn't say anything. He looks at another one, doesn't say anything. He looks, I, I'm thinking, oh man, this is, it, I don't know what's going to happen. He looks up to me and he says, do you have a few minutes? And I go, like, and I didn't know. And he says, 
could you come back around the booth and sit for a bit? And he tells everyone, hey, you know, I'll I'll get back to what I was doing. And he spends about 20 or 30 minutes telling me how what I'm doing right, what I need to do, that oh my God. there's something here. That's amazing. And that he could see this and he really liked how I laid blacks down. And I didn't know what he was talking about because I didn't know any terms. Yeah. So he he liked how I textured. He liked how I, I was adding weights to think all this stuff. And I'm nodding, not knowing what the hell he's talking about because I don't I don't know the terms. He drew a little thing, a little figure sketch for me on how to how to construct a human body. Yeah. He gave me a few. Uh, he told me where to look. And then he ended it by saying, you know, I think if you pursue this, you can do comics. I think you could do this. I'm pretty sure you could do it. And I think if you ever wow. did, you'd do a really great Batman. I think you would be a great Batman artist. And he meant this. He was very serious. Wow. And uh, I'm like I can't 16. even imagine. I can't. And and what he did was he sat down and he took a page from from Detective uh, or from Batman Family, uh, great page, and he went panel to panel showing me how it's not just thrown there, but why he did it and the decisions he made. And he was trying to tell me, not like how great I am. Look at me, Kelly. How great it was like. Here you got to think when you do this. You got to think when you get to that last panel. How did you set up the first panel to get to the last panel? When you're putting a panel together. What do you want the reader to look at? Because you've got to have everything to be their eye naturally goes to that. When you're composing all the page, what's the main focus of that page? So I'd never thought things like that. I just read comics like everybody else, you know? Totally. And it put, it put these things in my head. So I walk out of there. I always regretted I had not just grabbed that page and bought it. But, you know, it was in those days, seventy nine, eighty, it was two hundred dollars. I didn't eighty seventy nine. I didn't have that kind of money. I had like enough money to get in and enough money to buy a few things, maybe thirty dollars. Right. And so I always regretted it. But I couldn't foresee that one day I was gonna do this, much less get hired, much less do Batman. Right. Right. And so I had told a friend of mine this uh, my buddy who went with me, we were shocked. I mean, I remember driving home, and I, I, he was just babbling. Over How old were you? I was 16. He was 20. Oh, my God. Or 19, I should say, about 19. He was about three years older. And he was stunned, and he went back, and he told everybody. And they were all stunned because I was just this little kid who'd come in and buy you know, a comic book here or there. And they were all big Rogers fans, too, at that time. He, he was, you know, it was John Byrne, George Perez, Mike Golden, and Marshall Rogers. Yeah. You just named the rogues gallery of that time. (laughs) That was was the guys, you know? Yeah. They were the buy it sight unseen. So, so when that happened, that became a big deal. And then it was at the, okay. So a couple years later, 82, I get hired by Marvel have, you know, doing my thing. Eventually I get to where I met DC. I'd, I'd never figured I'd be at DC. And uh, I told a friend of mine that then he he was very much into art. Uh, it is another guy. And he got into art collecting and art dealing and art, that whole thing. And I told him the story on a couple of occasions, what I'm telling you. I just said how weird that is. And I always kicked myself that I now I didn't I, – it would have been so cool to have that page. Because how often do you have some kind of art of uh, – the actual thing that was the life – changing moment yeah. right here's the page yeah. here's the thing here's where they did it and i told him that and just a few years ago you know he he shows up he he lives in la so he's just driving by coming through he says hey are you gonna be there and i said yeah and, and he, so we're sitting in the backyard and he said oh just a minute i forgot something and he goes back to his car he comes back and he damn it if he, he pulls this thing out oh my god did you cry i i, I think was, i would have cried I was beyond it. I, there's no, it was shock. I mean, literal shock. My wife cried because awesome. she knew this story. And I and he says and he just slides it across because I was about to get my checkbook right, you yeah. know, because I know that's expensive. Yeah. He just slides it and says, "This is for you." Ugh, what a friend. And yeah, and he said, "I know what the I I've heard that story so much, and I knew what it meant." And so he got it, and it's it's. I'm not really a collector of art. I'm a collector of stuff, but yeah. art, not so much. But it's but I have it up on my wall. Yeah, you know what? So this last Christmas, my buddy 
he had a, a pretty rough upbringing. You know, his, his both his parents died pretty young, and they got divorced yeah. and all this kind of stuff. But in his bedroom at his dad's house, he had the original poster that came out for Star Wars before the movie came out, which was yeah. drawn, right? And they, yeah. Leia and Luke, they all don't look like like what they ended up being. Yeah. And he loved that thing, and he had, the, and it came in a set with these sheets, and he loved it, and he was talking about it, and. I couldn't find. Well, I found the original poster, but the people wanted like thirty five hundred dollars. I'm like, I just, I no. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm with you on that. Yeah, I just couldn't do it. But I found the replicate of it, and I tell you, Kelly, when I gave him that that poster, and I waited because we went over. We we had Christmas together because well, we just did. And when I I told his girlfriend, I said, "This is what I do." I'm really hoping that he sheds a tear because Keith is this big, burly, blue-collar guy. You know what I mean? He drinks yeah. all the time. He does not show emotion, you know? Yeah. Unless he's mad, right? That's the emotion yeah. he shows. And he, I, <laughs> when you open that thing, he couldn't look away for a full minute. And that's a long time when somebody's no, staring at something. I, I totally get it. Yeah. And it was slid across. I was in shock. Yeah. Oh, it was awesome. And, and it was and and like I said, my wife knew that. The, and all I said is, "This is the this is that page," and she just bawled. Oh, that's awesome. That's a great and story. I I was stunned. I look, I hugged the shit out of him. <laughs> Give him a you hug know? for me when you see um, him. <laughs> and and he's like he he's so funny because he says, "Well, I don't want you to think I want anything from you. This is yeah. just for you." And I'm like going, "I'm not even thinking like that, right?" Because right. he overthinks. I'm just like, this is a direct connection to 16 year old Kelly. Yeah. And I'm, I and I told him I said you have to understand. He held this. He put it down. He pointed on it. He swept his hand over it. This is this is it. Yeah. This, this shaped your like, career. It is. Yeah. I said it's the thing. I said it. It's because see, I I, I used to you know. And I'm going to frame this together because there's two things. There was there there was that Swamp Thing number two, and this Swamp Thing number two made me look to see who that people did these things, and I became a fan of Bernie Wrightson at that moment. You know, two hours after the moment, I should say. Right. And then, right. And then and then this, and it's the only time I met Marshall, and I had an editor at DC who had worked with Marshall. And I had told him this story. Now, I didn't have the page in, but I had told him the story. This is like in 06, and I was doing Gotham After Midnight for him. And he says, yes, I've worked with Marshall. He says, I, and I agree with you about Marshall. Because I had said, those six issues of Detective are the, if you wanted to convince someone, not just of Batman, but of the importance or the, or the credibility of comic book art, of everything, that's what I would show someone. Because they're beautifully written, brilliantly drawn and the drama's there um all the cliches are there and all the stereotypes are there and they're all wonderful and and you immerse and and it's why comics are great and eccentric and perfect and movies can't get that yeah i love comics it's all there it's why (laughs) comics are the best And we're back. We are back. We are back. So, uh, how fun Kelly was that? He's a really cool guy, man. He seems, I mean, I, it was funny is I wasn't on this one. I'm not on the next one, but I'm, I'm kind of on the third one. <laughs> right. Right. What was going on? It was like something was technically happening with your equipment. I, it was something and like you and Jeff was on with you and it's mostly you and, and you and, and, and Kelly talking and, Oh, that's right. I was, it starts with Jeff. Yeah. And then we go for Jeff. so long, Jeff has to drop, and then you come yeah. on. That's what it was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was a good time, uh, though. I mean, awesome. the first one's good. You learn, I, I learned a lot about his his career and, and him getting into comics and what, like, you can just tell from him talking, he has a true passion for this media. And it's it, yeah. it, sh- it just comes through in the way he talks about things. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You know, the thing is, yeah. is, I'm not sure we'll ever see. There's only a few people out there that hit the level that Kelly hits in the comic book industry. Right, yeah. Brian K. Vaughn is one. Uh, Robert Kirkman is one, obviously. Frank Miller, obviously. Uh, I think right now, 
because Brian K. Vaughn is old enough that he's he's almost old school, right? Late 90s, right. early 2000s. Yeah. Um, but the guys that you're seeing right now, like the Scott Snyders. Donny Cates. Huh? Donny Cates over at Marvel. Yeah. Kind, and, and, and yeah, to a, and, and Michael, Brian Michael Ven, Bendis. But Bendis has uh, been around since the 90s, though. He's been, a, he's been around for a yeah, long time. Yeah, he's been around for a long time. I guess you get. But those type of people that have that, that wield that much influence on what happens are yeah. slowly dying. You know what I mean? You don't yeah. see the big names like you used to be. And Kelly is one of the few that are left that the guy is golden no matter what he does. He, he is. He is. And he's a lot of fun to talk with. And I know we have, this is episode part one. We've got part two coming to you later today and then part three after that. But I just can't wait to have him come back on again for an episode I can be on the full thing for and just talk with him because you had a lot of fun. I, I kind of, I, I'm a little jealous of how much fun you had. I'm not gonna lie. I'm not gonna lie. Well, at the end of part three, we'll tell you guys what Kelly's coming back on to do because it's gonna be a lot of fun. It is gonna be a lot of fun. But I think for this one, that's a show. That is a show. And don't. And actually, you know what? <laughs> We're not even gonna do the outro like we normally do. We're just gonna say, "The oceans of podcasts. We are Cthulhu, and as Cthulhu compels you to do, open the mind and read more." He didn't laugh that time. It didn't.